right now we get to jump into part three of this series, Tandem. I hope you've been enjoying the series. I hope you've been encouraged and challenged by this series. And as we start today, I want to talk about how things start. I love these origin stories of how a business started or how uh, a professional athlete got started. I love these kind of stories. So let's, so let's talk about how it started. Uh, let's go with this. Nintendo. You know, the video games, uh, you know, Nintendo. Does anybody know how Nintendo got started? I know what you're thinking. It's probably this, right? Super Mario Brothers. I'll never forget a Christmas party I was at in the early 80s. My uncle had one of these, and I was like, I have got to play this game. But that's actually not how it started. No, Nintendo started in Japan, like turn of the century, early 1900s, they were making playing cards. I mean, how fantastic is that? Nintendo playing cards. Uh, here's another one, pickleball. Anybody into pickleball? Of course you are. It's like the fastest growing sport in our country. Do you know how pickleball got started? Okay, 1965, a couple young families are hanging out together at one of their houses. And those of you who are parents, you're never going to believe this. The kids were complaining. <laughs> we're bored. This is so boring. And so two of the dads were like, that's it. We've had it. They go out to the backyard. There's a badminton court. They grab a bunch of ping pong battle paddles and a wiffle ball, and they invent a game. That game became pickleball. I mean, how great is that? My only issue is why did they name it pickleball? I mean, of all the names for a sport, I, I just don't understand it. So we're talking about how things started. And uh, last weekend, John Dixon was with us, and he just delivered a great message about uh, the early church and how explosive the growth of the early church was in the first 300 years. You may remember this map, if you were here with us, just showing how Christianity spread so rapidly through the Roman Empire. I remember John saying that there was 30% growth decade over decade in the church for 300 straight years. That's just incredible. But I want to talk about how it started. I want to go back to the very beginning of the church, to the book of Acts. We're going to be spending some time today in chapters 2 and 4, and the next week in chapter 6, when I get to close out this city, uh, series, and we're going to be looking at just some great examples of what life was like in the early church. Now, what's so interesting to me and what I think is so important for us is when you think about how rapidly the church grew and how powerful the testimony of the early church was and how many people were coming to know and follow Jesus, it's kind of like, well, what's the difference between us and them? Because we're the church, right? And they were the church. And the gospel that those early Christians had of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, well, that's the same gospel that we have, right? And the Holy Spirit, God's presence that indwelled and empowered them, that's the same Holy Spirit that we have. And so what's the difference we talked last week about how the church in America, I mean, numerically even, is declining. So what is the difference? We're going to take a look today 
at four core commitments that these early Christians had, that the early church had, that I believe really empowered the growth that God blessed them with. And the the question I want us to wrestle with today is, what if, what if we made these four commitments our commitments? And I just believe that if we did, God might do something powerful in our church and through our church. And also just as individuals, I mean, if I really made these four commitments priorities in my life, if you made these four core commitments central in your life, I believe you would grow spiritually, your family would grow spiritually, and people around you would come to know and follow Jesus. And so today is just an incredible opportunity for us to be challenged and think about what God might want to do in our church as we, t- as we look at four core commitments in the early church. So let's jump in. As I said, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Acts chapter 2 to begin. The first core commitment is uh, teaching. And what do we mean by this? Well, let's, let's dig in. Uh, I'm in verse 42 of chapter 2. They, and that's talking about the early Christians, the first believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I want to focus in on those words. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles, uh, apostle is a word that means sent. Uh, These are the individuals that were commissioned by Jesus to lay the foundation for the church And at this point in the story, it's basically just the disciples. You know, there was 12, Judas uh, betrayed Jesus, and so there's 11, and then in chapter 1 of Acts, they add another guy named Matthias. And so it's these 12 guys that are the apostles at this moment. And so the church, one of their core commitments was to these guys teaching. Now, what was it they were teaching? Uh, I got three... uh, three uh, phrases here that kind of capture the content of what they were teaching. They were teaching what Jesus taught. I mean, you think about it, these guys traveled with Jesus. They lived with Jesus for three years, and they heard his teachings over and over and over again to the level that they internalized them and, I believe, could teach them for themselves. So what were the apostles teaching? They're teaching what Jesus taught, the parables, the sermons. Secondly, they're teaching the gospel. You know, when Jesus was crucified, the disciples, now apostles, they were so confused. They were so lost. Why did this have to happen? What does it mean? But when Christ was resurrected, they began to understand. It began to click, and the resurrected Christ walked them through. This is why I had to die, and this is why it matters, and this is how it ought to impact our lives, and the world. It's the message of the gospel. That's part of what they were teaching. And then thirdly... They were teaching Jesus in the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament, sometimes we call it the Jewish scriptures. This was the Bible for the Jewish people. And they were pointing out different elements in the Old Testament, different stories in the Old Testament, how they all point to, lead up to, and find fulfillment in Jesus. And so this is what the apostles were teaching. This was one of those core commitments of the early church. And it kind of just makes you go, man, I wish we had that. 
I mean, for those early believers to be able to sit under that teaching and hear this teaching, it's like, wow, what would it have been like to have that teaching? Man, I wish we could have that. And what's funny is we do, okay? Like the New Testament, Matthew to Revelation. Uh, you know who wrote this? Apostles. <laughs> apostles wrote the New Testament and, and individuals who were closely associated to the apostles. And so when we talk about how the church was so impacted and committed to the apostles' teaching, we have that teaching recorded for us. It's called the New Testament. And so what should we do with such a powerful, impactful gift? Well, let's look at what the early believers did. Again, same, uh, same verse. Let's just emphasize a couple different words. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. They devoted themselves. Now, what does it look like in your life? when you devote yourself to something? I mean, when you go all in on something, what does that look like in your life? I'll give you a couple examples from my life. Uh, things that I am devoted to. First one, University of Michigan football. Okay, I am a Wolverine, I am all in, that's right. So I, I have devoted myself to them. That means I watch every game. I mean, if I look tired to you right now, I am. I stayed up and I watched the entire game last night. I never miss a game. I buy YouTube TV during play or, uh, football season so I can record every game. I never miss it. I'm devoted. I have devoted myself to Michigan football. What, what else? Uh, who else am I devoted to? Uh, my wife, Katie. I mean, it's my wife, and I'm incredibly devoted to her. Every Friday, Friday's my day off. Every Friday, it's like, this is time that we set aside for us. We go out for coffee, or we go out for lunch. We are intentional with our time. I have devoted myself to her. And some of you might just be kind of bothered right now, like, man, he put football in front of his wife. <laughs> and on any other weekend, I wouldn't have done that. But my wife is from Iowa, so, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it is possible to devote yourself too much to something. Last night, my wife literally said, you know what, I hope Michigan wins, because I'll be fine, and your weekend will be ruined if Michigan <laughs> loses. So it is possible to devote yourself. I'm working on it, okay? I am working on it. I know it's not okay. But what does it look like when you devote yourself to something? Because that's what, that's what these early Christians were doing. They made this a core commitment. Well, we get a little bit more detail on what their uh, devotion looked like. We see this in verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day they're gathering uh, in the courts of the temple. And what are they doing there? They're listening to the apostles teach. I find it interesting that the apostles were teaching what Jesus taught, and they're actually teaching where Jesus taught. Because when Jesus would come to Jerusalem and he would teach the crowds, it was very often in the temple courts. 
And so we see this devotion every day. These believers are gathering and they're placing themselves under the apostles' teaching, inviting that teaching to shape them in the way that they think, in the way that they speak, in the way that they live. They devoted themselves to it. And I think a question for us, you know, we asked, you know, what's the difference between the early church and us? And it's possible it has to do with these commitments. These believers devoted themselves to the teaching of Scripture. And so I just a challenging question for us to wrestle with, uh, what role do the Scriptures play in your life right now? I, I, would you say that you've devoted them yourselves to them? What role do the Scriptures play in your life? Something I have observed Anytime I see somebody growing in their faith, taking steps in their faith, it always includes the scriptures occupying a place of centrality in their life. Anytime I observe God using a church, a local church, in a powerful way, the scriptures are always at the center of what that church is about. So a challenging question for us, what role do the teaching of the apostles, the scriptures, have in your life right now? And I wonder if, if it's time to take a step toward making them more central. Maybe it's time to say, okay, I'm going to start reading the scriptures every day. Or I'm going to start listening to the scriptures every day. Maybe it's time to say, okay, this, what we're doing right now, where we gather to hear the scriptures taught, I need to be here. Not just when it's convenient, I need to show up to be shaped by the scriptures. I think some of us need to take a step and start memorizing some key scriptures. What about your family? I mean, those of you who are parents, maybe it's time to start reading the scriptures to your kids at mealtime or at bedtime. Those of you who are teenagers, Perhaps it is time to make your faith your own and say, okay, I am going to start reading the scriptures for myself. These early believers, these Christians in the first century, they had this core commitment to the apostles' teaching. Every single day they were gathering to hear them taught. Now, again, this graphic that we've been using in this series, word and deed, it's, it's really the combination of these two that's so powerful, and it was what was so powerful in the early church. church. And we're obviously talking about the word right now and how the word needs to be central, but also it is the deeds side, how our faith is lived out. So let's turn to the second core commitment that we see in the early church, and, and let's talk about something a little more on the deed side. Uh, second uh, core commitment that we're going to talk about today is just fellowship. Fellowship. Again, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. So not only were they devoted to the teaching, but to something called fellowship. Now, I don't know what comes to mind for you when you hear the word fellowship. For me, I enter into a time machine, and I go back to the year 1987, I'm in a church basement. 
I can smell the musty carpet. If you're wondering, yes, I do have a mullet because it's the 80s. But there are these tables, and they are laden with casseroles and crock pots and these strange dishes that have fruit suspended in colorful jello. My friends, it is a potluck in a fellowship hall of a basement. Who's been there? Basement of the, yes, so many. And if you didn't grow up in church, you're like, what is happening? Should I leave? No, it's pretty normal, okay? No, this is what I think of when I think of fellowship. It's these potluck dinners in the church that I grew up in. That's what comes to mind for me. But what did these early believers, this core commitment, what was it they were actually committed to? When we say fellowship, what did that mean for them? Well, uh, you may know this. Uh, most of the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And so it's been translated into English. And the word that translates to fellowship, this is a good word. It's a word worth knowing. Here it is. Uh, it's the word koinonia. So if you're a note taker, write this down. Koinonia, this is a great word. What does it mean? Well, it's very uh, relational. It's like togetherness. It, it, it describes this interconnected relational way of following Jesus. Maybe the best way I could describe it is just this, shared life. Koinonia, fellowship, what it is, is it's following Jesus in community with other Jesus followers, sharing life with other people with your faith. That's what koinonia means. And this captures something so important for us. And that is that following Jesus is not a solo sport, okay? Golf. Following Jesus is not life like golf, a solo sport. No, following Jesus is a team sport. It's much more like uh, soccer or basketball or football or volleyball. It, it's a team sport. It's something that you do together. And I would go as far as to say this. If you are attempting to follow Jesus alone, you're doing it wrong. You're missing something huge. Because God created us to live in community, and when we share life with each other, we reflect his communal nature as the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are meant to walk together. And I wonder, have you experienced this? Shared life with other believers. What does this feel like? Have you experienced it? And for me, I can only talk about my own experience and how I have experienced shared life. And for me, it's mostly happened over the last couple years in the context of a group of guys that I'm journeying through life with, uh, my men's group. That's where I experience shared life. And sometimes it's in our group chat, which most days is just ridiculous jokes, nonsense, memes, and that kind of thing. But... There are days where one of us will text, hey, uh, pray for me today. I've, I've just got this thing going on. Please pray for me today. Occasionally, a text will come into that group chat. Hey, man, how's your dad? How's the cancer? And I can't tell you how many times I've showed up to our breakfast meeting and just said, hey, th this is what's the situation in my life. I, I don't know how to handle this. What would you guys do? And we're just sharing life, bouncing around ideas. Sharing life together has involved a funeral, 
One of the guys lost a parent, and so we have grieved together. We've celebrated together. It's sharing life. And sometimes it's hard conversations. Sitting around the table and actually calling one of us out and just going, hey, this thing that you're chasing after, I mean, you committed to be a Jesus follower. <laughs> you can't do this. This is outside of what God wants for you. And so we're challenging you. It's sharing life together. And I'm telling you, this is a huge part of what it means to be a Jesus follower. If you're not sharing life with other believers, you're missing something huge. And yeah, I just know that many of you would go like, look, I, how do you get there? Yeah, I mean, here we are sitting in rows, okay? And let's be honest, most of the people in front of you and behind you, you're like, I, I don't know them. I mean, I recognize them, I say hi to them, but I, I don't know what's going on in their lives. I, I just can't imagine how you get from here to the kind of conversations that you're talking about. You know, that's legit. It's a big church. It can be hard to get connected. So, so how did the early believers do this? How did they share life? Well, let's look again. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And here we go. They broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It's important for us to understand that even in the second chapter of Acts, there's already several thousand Jesus followers. Peter gives this unbelievable spirit-empowered sermon, and in one day, 300, or excuse me, 3,000 people become Jesus followers. And so when they gather in the temple courts, it's like hundreds, it's thousands of people. How do you experience shared life in a group size that big? Answer, you don't. And so they started breaking out and meeting in homes, sharing meals, celebrating communion together. They broke down the size so that they could experience shared life. And my friends, that is exactly why we do small groups at Ada Bible Church. To break down the size so that you can get connected and actually get to know and hear the stories of other Jesus followers and walk with them and share life with them. And so if you're in a space right now where you're just going, okay, this was a core commitment in the early church. It's part of what made that church so magnetic and powerful. And I need to take some steps here. I, I need to be sharing life with people. Let me, let me just challenge you to do one of two things, maybe both of these. The first one, kind of obvious, Join a small group. I mean, join a small group. This is how we break down the size and get to know each other. And of course, there's no guarantee that you're going to join a small group and you're going to find your best friends forever. But you will get to know names. You will build relationships. It's an opportunity to share life with other believers. Uh, second thing I would challenge you to do is find a place to serve. And the reason is, I have heard this story so many times if somebody starts attending ADA, they're having a hard time getting connected, it's, you know, it's so big, it's hard to connect, they sign up to serve and suddenly it's a smaller size, often people are wearing name tags, which is really helpful, and you build relationships. And over time, you can get into that space where you're now sharing life with other believers. And so I would challenge you, before you leave today, 
atriums, all of our campuses, stop by the Next Steps area, have a conversation with one of our hospitality hosts about joining a small group or finding a place to serve. And super, super practical step, Christmas services are coming up. We need people to serve. I would, I would invite you, serve at our Christmas services. Great opportunity to connect. So again, uh, word and deed, the tandem bike. Where does sharing life fit? I, I think it's under deed. Because this is one of the ways that we live out our faith. One of the ways that we do our faith is by loving people really well as we journey through life together with them. You see, a relationship with Jesus, understanding the gospel, transforms how we relate to each other, leads us to share life. But it also also leads us to share something else. And so third core commitment we're going to be looking at uh, is meeting needs. The early church, this is something they were huge on. And I, I'm going to jump now to chapter 4 of Acts. Um, we are jumping into, what is this, verse 33. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Think about that for a minute. We've already said that the early church was, at this point, thousands of people. And we're told there, there were no needy persons. Nobody was going without. How in the world did they pull this off? Well, we keep reading. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. You got individuals in the church selling property, selling houses, bringing the money, giving it to the apostles. Give this to people in our church community who have needs. You see, we see the early believers not only sharing life, but sharing their possessions, sharing wealth to the level that there were no needy persons among them. And you just kind of go, wow, that is incredible. And Man, I wish our church was more like that. I mean, if our church was more like that, how might God use us? And, and what, you know, what would happen? Man, I wish our church was more like that. And you know what? I don't think we're that far off. I really don't. I think that we are pretty good at taking care of needs in our church. And one of the reasons is something that we call benevolence. And I hope this is a word you recognize. Because every time that we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, we take a special offering. It's called the benevolence offering. And that money is set aside specifically for meeting needs of people in our church community. And I'm telling you, there are a lot of needs being met. This year... 2023, up to this point, over 260 families have been served through benevolence giving. That's incredible. I mean, just last month, two, two stories. There's a widow in our church living on Social Security. Car breaks down. Fixed income. Tough situation. Our church, we're able to come alongside and help her with the repair. Meeting needs. Another family that's just crushed by medical bills. We're able to come alongside and first off, 
uh, provide some immediate financial relief for those bills. And secondly, with a budget counselor, to be able to set up a good plan for dealing with this medical debt in the future. We, meeting needs through benevolence. It, it's awesome. I'm, I'm so proud of our church, and I'm so grateful for all of you who give, and I want to remind you how impactful and how important your giving is in the life of our church. So that's what we do collectively. Let's ask another question. What are you doing individually? What am I doing individually to meet needs in our lives? Where are we going? Okay, where is there a need, and, and what do I have and what can I give? Where is there a need around me? What do I have and what can I give? And I just know you're going like, well, come on. I mean, these guys in Acts, they're selling off houses and properties. Listen, I'm not sitting on extra houses, okay? I don't have other properties that I can sell off. It's just that's not the situation that I'm in. And I get that. But I think there's an opportunity for us to see needs and just go, okay, what do I have and what can I give in small but significant ways? And I know this because I have experienced this in my life on the receiving end. So I've told you before, my wife Katie and I, we got five kids. I don't know if you know this, but kids are expensive. Um, now, I do want to say this. Uh, I am paid generously by our church, and so right now, I am, I'm good, all right? We're all right, so don't worry about me. But the early days, okay, early years of marriage when we had all these kids, I'm, I'm younger in my career, there were some seasons where things were pretty tight. And perhaps some of you are in that stage of life, and you're going, I get it, or you remember that stage of life. But there were some generous things that... Jesus followers that we were sharing life with did for us that were incredibly impactful, that were not huge things, but very helpful and very meaningful. For example, I remember some Christian friends going, hey, you and Katie, you need to get out on a date. You, you need to go out and invest in your relationship. And, you know, I'm just thinking, we can't. I mean, we got five kids. You get a babysitter. You know, that's what, $10,000, you know, like... <laughs> So you add dinner on that, you just can't, you know? And I remember these friends going, listen, we're going to watch the kids, okay? We're going to watch your kids. You go out and you have a date. That's huge for a young married couple with, with kids who just, you know, to go out on dates, like, ah, I don't know if the budget can. What, what needs do you see and what do you have and what can you give? And sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's keeping five kids alive for two hours. It doesn't seem like much, but it can be huge. Another time, this car that we had, the brakes are going out. And it's like, ah, 500, 600, 700 bucks, you know, man. And I remember a, a, a Christian friend that we were journeying through life with just said, listen, buy the parts, drive over to my house, I will help you fix the brakes. That's what we did. And instead of being... Six, seven hundred dollars, it was like less than one hundred dollars. It was a huge gift to us in that season of life. And so he didn't sell off his extra house. He used these skills that he had. So where do you see a need? And what do you have? And what can you give? And I would just challenge you to ask those questions. Because maybe it is extra time that you have right now. Maybe you do have a skill that could be really helpful to somebody. And I know that some of you 
actually, you're in a situation a little bit more like these people in the book of Acts. Your financial situation is strong, it's solid, and you do have an opportunity to do some giving, perhaps to some people or to your church that would really help some people. So where do you see a need? What do you have? And what can you give? This was huge in the early church. I mean, the Roman society that's kind of observing the early church, they just didn't have a category for how these people who were so different from each other were sharing life, sharing their possessions, taking care of each other. And so the church became so magnetic, so attractive, and many people began flocking to the church to find out more about this Jesus. And so again, it's word and deed. But there's one more core commitment. We're going to do this quickly. One more core commitment that if we don't have this commitment, we miss something huge. Okay, so the last one right here, testifying. Uh, Here we go. Verse 33 of chapter 4. With great power... The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The apostles, they're testifying. What does that mean? It's like a courtroom phrase. You testify in court. You witness in court. What you're doing is you're saying, this is what I saw. This is what I observed. This is what I experienced. And so the apostles are going around, pretty much to anybody who will listen, and just going, look, Jesus was crucified. We saw it. We were there. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. We saw it. We were there. This is what it means. You've got to place your, tra- your trust in Christ. They're, share- they're sharing the gospel. He died for you. Put your trust in him. Be forgiven of your sins. Restored to God. He was raised. You too will be raised. They're sharing the gospel I think this is so important because unless this component, unless this commitment is there, people cannot come to know and follow Jesus. This has to be clear. This was a core commitment in the early church. And here's the challenging question for us. What the apostles are doing here, what they're sharing, could you do that? Can you communicate the gospel to somebody clearly? Can you go, okay, this is what Jesus did, and this is why it matters? And can you do it clearly and succinctly? And those of you who are parents, do you feel comfortable explaining, okay, this is who Jesus is, this is what he did, and this is why it matters? Do you feel confident to invite your kids to trust Christ with their lives? Could you do that? If you're at work, you're, you're at the office, and, and some of you work with just comes up to you and just goes, all right, you know what, just help me out here. I don't, I don't get it. This whole Jesus thing, just I, I don't understand. Can you walk me through it? Could you make it clear? Could you make it simple? You're in the cafeteria at school. You're sitting with your group of friends, and one of them just, look, this whole Jesus thing, you're so into Jesus. I, I don't understand why. Can you help me understand? Could you explain it? And could you do it in two minutes? Because that's all the time they give you to eat in high school. And as I ask these questions, if you're going, honestly, could I do it? Probably not. Listen, we need to be able to make the message of Jesus 
crucified and resurrected, clear and simple. And so I want to challenge you to do something. This is how we'll end right here. Uh, There's an event coming up. It's Thursday night. Thursday night, Kentwood campus. It's a training on how to share your faith. It's only an hour and a half long. And I'm telling you, this is a training that will help you share the message of Jesus in a way that's clear, simple, and kind. I just think it's so important for all of us to be able to do this. And so I invite you to attend this event. Bring your teenager, bring your friend, I mean, whatever. And even if you're going like, you know what, I feel fairly confident communicating the gospel. This could be a great, like, refresh, a a practice. And so I think this is important. Thursday night, Kentwood campus, being able to share the message of Jesus clearly. Now, let's let's wrap this up. Four commitments. We ask the question, you know, what's the difference? I think it's these four areas that the early church was committed to. I want to read you one final scripture and wrap up. Some of this we already read. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And here we go. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every day, people were coming to know Christ. Why? Word and deed. Word and deed. And I'll just leave us with this question, what if? What if we made these four commitments our four commitments? What if? I mean, what might God do in our church and through our church in your life and through your life, what if? So four commitments on the screen. Which one of these do you need to lean into this week? Uh, don't be overwhelmed with all four, but just which one of these you're going, okay, I, I really need, you know, I need to be sharing life. You know, I need to learn how to share my faith. You know what, I, I need to make the scripture central in my life. Which one of these are you going to take a step toward this week? And just a reminder as you close, or as we close, stop by Next Steps in the atrium. Have a conversation. And by the way, if, if you need somebody to pray with you, if you want to talk to somebody about trusting Christ for yourself, we're going to have people down front, uh, leaders in our church, uh, all of our spaces. You can, you can come forward after the service and just have somebody pray for you. Have a conversation with somebody. And so as we close, let me, let me just pray for all of us. Heavenly Father, you have called us to be your church. You have given us your gospel. You have given us your spirit. And you have commanded us to take the message of Jesus forward. And God, we want to be the kind of church that you desire for us to be. And so would you be at work in our hearts and in our community? God, would your spirit move? God, we ask for these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Just a great time opening the scriptures with all of you. Next week, we'll wrap up the series. We'll see you then.